0: Well, and welcome to Truth in Journalism, a radio broadcast dedicated to applying the Word of God to current events. Well, today on Truth in Journalism, we're going to talk about AI, and our article is by Owen Kichizoteri Terry for the Chronicle of Higher Education, and it has been ruthlessly edited for length. It is entitled, I'm a student. You have no idea how much we're using ChatGPT. No professor or software could ever pick up on it. Look at any student academic integrity policy and you'll find the same message. Submit work that reflects your own thinking or face discipline. A year ago, this was just about the most common sense rule on earth. Today, it's laughably naive. There's a remarkable disconnect between how professors and administrators think students use generative AI and how students actually use it. Many assume that if an essay is written with the help of ChatGPT, there will be some sort of evidence. It will have a distinctive voice. It won't make very complex arguments. It will be written in a way that AI detection programs will pick up on. Those are dangerous misconceptions. In reality, it's very easy to use AI to do the lion's share of the thinking while still submitting work that looks like your own. Once that becomes clear, it follows that massive structural change will be needed if our colleges are going to keep training students to think critically. The common fear among teachers is that AI is actually writing our essays for us, but that isn't what happens. You can hand ChatGPT a prompt and ask it for a finished product, but you'll probably get an essay with a very general claim, the middle school level sentence structure and half as many words as you wanted. The more effective and increasingly popular strategy is to have the AI walk you through the writing process step by step. You tell the algorithm what your topic is, and ask for a central claim. Then have it give you an outline to argue this claim. Depending on the topic, you might even be able to have it write each paragraph the outline calls for one by one, then rewrite them yourself to make them flow better. The common fear among teachers is that AI is actually writing our essays for us, but this isn't what happens. Students use the software to give them options of thesis statements in various layouts of the paper. It does your thinking for you. The vital takeaway here is that it's simply impossible to catch students using this process and that for them, writing is no longer much of an exercise in thinking. The problem isn't with a lack of AI-catching technology, even if we could definitively tell whether any given word was produced by ChatGPT, we still couldn't prevent cheating. The ideas on paper can be computer-generated, while the pros can be the students' own. No human or machine can read a paper like this and find the mark of artificial intelligence. When we want students to learn how to think, assignments become essentially useless once AI gets involved. There are two possible conclusions. One is that we should embrace the role that AI is beginning to play in the writing process. So what that essays are easier to write now? AI is here for good. Students might as well learn to use it. Of course, it's important to learn to put together a cohesive piece of written work so it makes perfect sense to embrace AI on assignments that are meant to teach the skill. In fact, it would be counterproductive not to. If a tool is useful and widely available, students should learn how to use it. But if this is our only takeaway, we neglect the essay's value as a method for practicing critical thinking. When we want students to learn how to think, something I'm sure all educators consider a top priority, assignments become essentially useless once AI gets involved. The main contention of this article is that writing software like ChatGPT, generally known as AI, is here to stay. Yes, I, I I know, I know. It's not technically artificial intelligence. It's an extremely advanced search engine. I get it. But for sake of convenience, I'm just going to call it AI. And if that annoys you, then consider this an opportunity to grow in patience. You're welcome. Anyways, the main contention in this article is that AI is here to stay. And so colleges had better learn to deal with that and help students to learn how to responsibly use it and how to get the most out of it. Now, this may come as no surprise at all, or it may be the shock of a lifetime. But I would say that the chances are high that you have listened to a plagiarized sermon. Now, that, that I know that seems like a bit of a harsh uh transition, but but since this show is about, you know, looking at scripture and the word of God and applying it to everyday life, I think that most of the people in my audience, you know, the college environment isn't really where you're focused. Most of you, if you're going to have to listen to a critically thought out essay, the sermon is the closest thing most people in this audience are going to have to a, uh, to a, to an essay, right? Unfortunately, there aren't great statistics on how many pastors plagiarize. You can imagine why. But according to one company, Docent, who came under fire years ago, they helped pastors write sermons that reached over a million people a month. And Docent is just one company. There are many companies that will ghostwrite the sermon for you or give you an outline. There are some that will give you the sermon, the slides, and all the promotional materials. In fact, here's a test. Next time your pastor does a series, look up the title of that series online and see if that's something for sale. Another way to check to see if your pastor is plagiarizing, if he really has a memorable quote, then copy it down and do an Internet search for that expression. Now, of course, there's nothing wrong with recognizing someone else's brilliance and giving them credit. Quoting people is obviously, you know, a a good thing to do. There are times when I've actually prepared a sermon and I found that the way one pastor or commentator approached the passage of scripture was so good that I really couldn't improve upon it. And I was going to model my message off of his. So you just tell people that that's what you're doing. You say, look, uh, this is the best way to approach the material. I borrowed this from J. Vernon McGee or from Matthew Henry and, and, and you just move on. Indeed, I I remember years ago, I was listening to a local church service on the radio, and I was driving in my truck and listening to a young man preach a sermon. And as I listened, I kept thinking, man, this guy's sharp. And then I got to thinking, wow, I really like how he put that. And then as he kept preaching, I thought, wow, that is exactly how I would have said that. And then I realized, wait, that is how I said that. This guy's ripping me off. I listened to somebody plagiarize me. Now, at that time, I was a bivocational guy. I was poor. I mean, poor. I didn't have hardly money for food some weeks, but this guy, I won't say who he was or where he was from, but he was on the staff of a nice church and he was making good money and he stole from me. He robbed me. He took what was mine, what I not only was not getting paid for, but I actively paid for the airtime. He listened to my radio broadcast, which let's be honest, that was his first mistake. And then he liked it so much that he decided to copy my sermon in places verbatim. There he was on staff making good money while I was working multiple jobs and he took my words and used them for his own. I was so angry, but it taught me a lesson. One, it taught me that there are clergymen who will lie, cheat, and steal because plagiarizing is all of those things. You're lying because you're claiming somebody else's work is yours. You're cheating because you're breaking the rules of intellectual integrity, not to mention cheating yourself out of the opportunity to mature in faith and cheating your congregation out of the chance to be edified by an authentic message and stealing because you were paid to do a job and you took the money and didn't do the job. The second lesson is that it taught me that he got away with it. Cheating, plagiarism, intellectual dishonesty, theft, moral failure, call it what you will, it's rampant. And if the clergy do it, why should we expect college students wouldn't? And if you think that your church is immune, think again. Remember Ed Litton, you know, president of the SBC. Remember Mark Driscoll? Those were two of the biggest names in evangelicalism. They were both serial plagiarists but they got caught because they were just ripping people off. It was lazy and corrupt, sure, but now you can have somebody write your sermons for you and you don't even have to pay for it. You can have ChatGPT do your theologizing for you and nobody will ever know. And frankly, considering a lot of preaching in this country, it might be an improvement. I said years ago that eventually AI would be able to write a better sermon than any human being. We're not there yet, but we're to the point where AI can write better sermons than most human beings. And there are two ways of looking at this. On one hand, we can look at AI as a legitimate tool, and there are certainly legitimate research applications for ChatGPT. On the other hand, it is a tool that is so powerful that it will do your thinking for you, and that's dangerous. Now, think of like a calculator, for instance. Most people use calculators if they have to do any amount of math. And calculators are great. They're fast, they're error-free, they're cheap, they make life better. But every math teacher worth her salt knows that you don't start with a calculator. You start with longhand mathematics. You start with learning how to do the math by hand or in your head, step by step, arduously and painfully, Sometimes with tears, sometimes with fear and trembling. When a child learns math, there is a tremendous sense of accomplishment and confidence that comes with that. I can tell you that apart from my children, some of the things I'm most proud of in my life are learning calculus in high school. And being self-taught in Greek and learning Hebrew in seminary, I'm proud of having read and understood Shakespeare and Dante and Milton and Homer. I'm proud of my years as a carpenter learning the trade. I'm proud of these things because they were hard. And because they were hard, they were rewarding. I'm proud of the master's thesis I wrote and the novels I've written and the sermons and essays I preach and write. I'm proud of them. Are they great? No, not really. I'm well aware that I'm a fair to middling preacher at best. And maybe slightly above average writer on a really good day. But I don't care about that. I'm proud that I've been doing this broadcast for over 10 years and have over 600 episodes in the can. It's been hard. But as Jimmy Dugan says in A League of Their Own, the hard is what makes it great. Preaching is hard. Now, for some, it comes more easily than for others. That's most definitely true. Some are more natural preachers and some are just gifted with the ability to get up and go. But there is no truly great preacher who doesn't work his tail off to be great. It isn't always work spent uh, practicing or, or writing the perfect sermon. But everything else that goes into it, every sermon is the culmination of a lifetime. Great preachers, and mediocrities like me too, are always writing sermons. They're constantly examining life and trying to understand the lessons God teaches. They're ravenous readers, attentive listeners, careful questioners, and they have dedicated themselves to the word of God. Great preachers are never not working on a sermon everything, every book, every TV show, every movie, every conversation, every walk or bike ride or drive, every prayer, every meditation, every song they sing, every weed they pull, every meal they cook, every nail they pound or lawn they mow, everything, absolutely everything contains some truth about God and his revelation. And it is the joy and duty of the preacher to use his wisdom to turn all of life into the material needed to speak to God's people with a prophetic voice. It is hard work, but it's honest work. And it's the work of the self and the soul. But when pastors plagiarize, when they use software to write their work for them, to do their thinking for them, to do their theologizing for them, the problem is not just that they're lying, cheating, and stealing. It's worse than that. And it isn't just that they're surrendering their own voice, though that's worth a whole series of messages to unpack that idea. No, the worst part of letting AI into the pulpit is that we're now being preached to by whoever created the algorithms that determine how these chatbots search, collate, and respond to prompts. The danger is not that... The man of God surrenders his voice to a computer. It's that he exchanges his voice with the voice of someone he doesn't know and is not worthy of the trust of preaching. Chatbots are not neutral arbiters of facts. It's been pretty well demonstrated by this point that OpenAI's chat GPT is woke, or at least its programming was done by people with woke biases that have revealed themselves in the responses to prompts that people have received. It's significant enough that Elon Musk wants to create a rival-based AI as opposed to woke AI. It's bad enough that ChatGPT is going to rob many young men and women of the ability to think for themselves, which is, you know, a necessary condition of maintaining a free and prosperous republic. Because, make no mistake, outsourcing all mathematical skill to calculators has a price and not an insignificant cost to society. But critical thinking skills, you know, the kind that are developed through writing, the ability to read or listen to someone else, understand their perspective, identify their main points and be able to reproduce their argument faithfully and then meaningfully interact with what they say. This is not some obscure skill set. This is the fundamental pedagogical objective of Western education. And the reason why faithfully reading and carefully, meaningfully responding is the fundamental pedagogical objective is because it is the primary skill in debate and debate is the basis of all free society. A republic cannot exist without debate. Oh, well, friends, ChatGPT has the power to do more to destroy the republic than any of the miscarriages of education we've seen heretofore. But the destructive power of AI on the republic is nothing compared to the destructive power of AI on the kingdom of God. When pastors and preachers commit the gross and unforgivable moral failure of plagiarizing sermons, outsourcing their ability to communicate God's prophetic message to a bunch of godless woke programmers. Friends, this isn't just a few bad messages. This means the effective destruction of the pulpit in the Western world. Now, you might say, Luke, you're exaggerating a bit, aren't you? No no, I'm not exaggerating. If the pastors in this country and beyond, if they surrender their voice to computers, it is the end of the pulpit in the Western world. Now, next week, we're going to talk about what we can do to fight back and to save preaching. And I hope you'll join us then for another exciting episode of Truth and Journalism. Thank you, and may God bless your day to his glory.